It was the best of halves. It was the worst of halves. And we are going to talk about all of it on the Talkback Show, on the radio, or whatever audiovisual device you choose to use. Welcome to the GBC Podcast, where we talk about the Packers, our hometown of Green Bay, and our surrogate home in London. This is episode 24, created on October 12th, 2022. I'm John. I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin. Along with me are Jeff in Minnesota and Neil on the East Coast. Say hello, gentlemen, and tell us what you're drinking. Hello, everyone. I am drinking an Autumn Arch Day One Berliner Weisse, and uh, it is a beautiful red, just like Arsenal. Wow. Okay. I'm going with a uh, High West Double Rye uh, Whiskey Neat tonight again. And to celebrate being sandwiched between two New York opponents, I have a Long Island iced tea. And hopefully I am not passed out by the end of the show here. You can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Green Bay Chat and Facebook at the GBC Podcast, Green Bay Chat. And now just the audio is available on Spotify and Anchor by searching for Green Bay Chat. Taking a look at the show tonight, our topic, certainly we'll be talking about the best and the worst of the game and our bed shitter of the week might not travel too far we've got our Packers player of the past and taking a look at week six it is throwback week and we'll get to the Packer history report as well and you know what it's a noon game so we'll have to talk about tailgating when we get there as well hey Jeff to continue the literary reference it was a game of wisdom it was a game of foolishness we had everything before us we had nothing before us what the hell happened we lost (laughs) As improbably, as inexplicably, we go to London. We're, we're there. We're, it's a party. We choke. We just, I don't know. And like I said, uh, you know, pre-production, it's my fault. I visited a friend's house. I, I don't think any game I've ever watched over there, we've, I, Packers have never won. So uh-huh. I will take full responsibility. Great hospitality. It was great seeing friends. It was great watching the game with friends. He just couldn't freaking win. Well, Neil, we have to thank Jeff for jumping on that grenade. That way we don't we don't blame our <laughs> uh, on-site visit for Saturday. Because we, we actually had a good, uh, well, started good, went bad, then it went well, right? I had a good game. I mean, you know, when I was watching the Packers exclusively, the Packers were ahead the whole time. So we showed up at the Green Bay Distillery to watch the match with Green Bay Armory, Green Bay's Arsenal supporters group at 8.30. Um, So the Packers are on for the first half. Everything is going well. We get early into the second half, into the third quarter, and the Arsenal match against Liverpool started. And so half of the room moved to the back to primarily watch the Arsenal-Liverpool match for the top of the league table, although everyone had their eyes on both of the television screens. And, um, you know, that's when things started to fall apart. John uh, kept an eye fully on the Packers game, but... um, (laughs) It was uh, very much a, a Jekyll and Hyde kind of day, both for the Packers halves, uh-huh. um, but also looking at it as far as the games are concerned. Uh, the Arsenal match ended up being a glorious 3-2 victory that kept us at the top of the Premier League. Um, the Packers did not keep us on top of the NFC North. No. All right, too much too much Arsenal talk, Neil. we got to stick with the Packer game. A 17-3 lead at one point, 20-10 at yep. halftime totally blown out of the water a a little gift of a safety at the end of the game there Jeff what else did you see between that first half and that second half oh okay where do we start I know Neil's gonna come up with some stats but so a couple takeaways for me four of ten on on uh, third downs that's not gonna cut it 
um, 61 plays, only 20 rushing attempts. That was a big thing that stood out. No turnovers. Um, and the biggest one for me, I'm not going to – so the the crowd that I was with, um, we were watching the refs probably a little bit closer than we uh, should have. And there was a lot of holding that was going on that was not being called until it was. And um, I've, I've got a lot of information on the, on the very, very specific holding calls, all defensive holding, all two of the three wiped out big sacks. So it was, it was very frustrating to watch. This was all in the second half primarily. And it just by drives, we started out fantastic. We started out well, our first five drive, we scored on four of the first five drives. Thought, okay. You know, like I said, it was, it was going well. It was a lot of passes. That's where uh, Rogers was having some success, but then un unfortunately in the second half passes weren't connecting at all, at all. He was the three and outs. Not sure if it was a Rogers, if it was the routes, because what whatever was working in the first half was not working in the second half. They completely went away from the run until the very end. Then it was too late. We were trying to come back. And those last couple plays from inside the 10 yard line. Wow. I just never seen back to back uh Rogers passes batted down like that. I'm not sure if the that fourth down pass had that been not been batted down, that was not going to score the touchdown either. So it was very frustrating, just kind of disbelief, but we were still in the game for all of that. Yeah. I mean, we, it was, it was close. It was close. Cause we were even talking about, okay, so if they score or when they score, excuse me, when they score, are they going to go for two? And I'm like, mm, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. And guess what? We got way ahead of ourselves because they never scored. And it's not just a, a three and out, but it's when the three plays are passes of greater yeah. than 10 yards. There's there's no there's just no imagination here in this offense. And it's reminiscent of the last administration, if you will, uh, where the, the offense just started to really flounder. Um, there was no super pedestrian. Just yeah, just, just nothing there that, that was exciting receivers aren't able to get open they're not running very impressive routes things like that and and it really felt like everything was kind of falling back to that whole hum uh and, and even speaking of that that whole hum that doldrum kind of feeling the defense in particular oh. and this is something that yeah thank you jeff that plagues this team and we <laughs> talked about it already this season you get a lead you don't just put the cruise control on and hope that everything yeah. stays in front of you continue to play to win the game continue to play to score on offense, continue to play to keep from scoring on defense. Once you start playing off and trying to keep everything in front of you and, and, you know, everything we've heard all week is crossing patterns, crossers, you know, everybody's going to run crossers on us until we stop it. And if we're playing a soft zone, we're not going to stop it. It's that simple. And it, it is just, it, it gets ugly. And, and the thing is, is it's not the entire game because no. it starts out. Well, it starts. That's out what's aggressive. so weird, right? It's why, does this change happen? You know, it, it, if it's working, continue to let it work. It's almost as if they're saying, hey, this is working really well. Uh, they might be on to us. So let's surprise them and change to something different. And hopefully we catch them off, off guard by doing something different. Well, no, that doesn't work. If it's working, keep pounding it until the horse is dead and then pound it a few more times. Yeah. The other and that thing is that just I... not happening. 
Yeah. No, the other thing that I thought was was interesting was just how the the drives came to be. There was there was a lot of three and outs, but what's happening is this whole season, there's not a lot of margin for error, right? We still have never seen a complete game play. All four quarters in the same game, we've never witnessed a complete game. And then what happens is that they get out of rhythm. They get they just look completely dead. They try and turn it on. They try and turn it off. One of the huge things that they relied on over the last number of years with, with Lafleur is turnovers. The defense getting the turnovers, the offense not turning it over. They're 30 and 0 under LaFleur when they win the turnover battle. 30 and 0. That's pretty good. But when you have a draw like you had um against the Giants, you've got zero turnovers turnovers on each side. We missed the turnover on the muff punt. That was like right there. Got kind of kicked out of bounds. Weren't able to wasn't able uh special teams, sorry, asshats weren't able to to uh recover it in the feet, you know, in the field of play. That would have been a huge turnover. The sacks the, that were negated by the defensive holding. I mean, there were no offensive holding calls in this game. I went back and looked. There were none. So it was one of those things where I figured we, we talked about this again uh, with the folks I was watching. It was like, okay, if they're not going to call it, let's just do it, right? And that's what I was seeing is if they're not going to call it, and you can get away with it. Lots of pulled jerseys, lots of lots of stretched out jerseys, lots of hands in the air by the defensive linemen. They were getting held like crazy. They weren't calling it. Now, I suppose in defense of the the refs, you know, they weren't calling it, you know, for Packers holding either. But come on. I mean, it was it was way more blatant and and uh Daniel Jones would have been killed back there had we not been held. Jeff, Jeff, I know that you watched that game in Minnesota because everything I hear is about you being apologetic. Um, the, the, <laughs> the team is the one that failed. It wasn't the refs that failed that game. The refs did not lose us that game. I know That's everyone true. in Minnesota feels that everything is going against them, <laughs> but we're Packers fans. We're a bit more realistic. And what I saw in that game was not us playing our best football. And, yeah. you know, even going back to what John said, it was the best to haves and the worst to haves. We started out that game. Aaron Rodgers was one of four on that first drive. And thankfully that one was a 35 yard pass to, to Cobb. But on the yep. other hand, you know, we didn't do a whole thing. We had to sell for a field goal. Our second drive was three of out three and out Rogers was three and three for negative one yards passing in a driving, which he was three and three. The rest of the first half, we looked good on offense. Rogers was 14 of 17, 112 yards, two touchdowns, but fundamentally we didn't even make it for a full half you'd say you'd like to see a full game i'd like to see more than a full quarter of football because that's really what we got is we got slightly over a full quarter of football from our offense this game and then going into the second half aaron Rodgers in the second half was seven of 15 for 76 yards seven of 15 for 76 yards no touchdowns uh two sacks for 15 yards 61 net yards passing for the packers in the second half 61 net yards passing. That's appalling. That is not what an offense should do. And then you go into the other side of the ball, you know, Daniel Jones in the first half, we mostly kept him in check. He was eight of 13, 81 yards sacked once second half. Daniel Jones was 13 of 14 for 136 yards, basically 10 <laughs> yards per attempt. And on top of that, that he had all of his running yards. Yeah, it yeah. was not just our offense. It was not the referees. It was our offense that failed in the second half. And it was our defense that failed in the second half. 
we did not do the job that we needed to do on either side of the ball. Going into the long passing game, Rodgers had six pass attempts of greater than 20 yards, zero completions on those passes over 20 yards. We could not get the ball moving downfield. Uh, we could not get the ball moving fundamentally in the second half, except when it was restoration time. I'm kind of surprised that the Giants allowed us to move as well on that last drive as they did. Um, but we were problematic. And, you know, I think that John alluded to the fact that we we're sort of playing scared on offense. We we're playing scared on defense. Um, but there's also been talk in, in the in the Packers world about, you know, whether the run pass options are fundamentally a problem and that, you know, Rogers allow is allowing the defense or Matt LaFleur is allowing the defense to decide what we're going to do. If the defense yeah. provides a look against the pass, we're going to run. If they provide a look against the run, we're going to throw the pass. Play your ball, play your game. Yeah, that's play not the game that you're so going well. to play. Let's do it the way that we're going to do. And I think that there is something to be said for let's stop letting Aaron Rodgers decide what we're going to do in a given play because that three and out um, with all three long passes in the second half, that was absolutely disastrous. Well, with that, Neil, you know, last week we asked the question, can you win the game and shit the bed in the same game? And now this week we would have asked the same question had Green Bay somehow pulled it out. Uh, they did definitely in the second half. Now, Jeff, I know, uh, again, back where you watch games in, in Minnesota, the, the Vikings really tried. <laughs> they really tried to shit the bed against Chicago, but uh, yeah. the Vikings ended up pulling it out. So our, our bed shitter of the week really is the Green Bay Packers, unfortunately, just because of that second half, Neil, right? The second half, but also let's just look at it at a fundamental level. The Giants had their three top wide receivers out. They were missing their top three wide receivers. They had a quarterback who's consistently at slightly above Justin Fields level, slightly <laughs> above Justin Fields level. That's a low bar. And we allowed Daniel Jones to go 21 of 27 for 222 yards passing. I mean, how well, is it that we can allow that much yardage to a quarterback who'd shown nothing so far this year, anywhere close to that level? And, what and was again, he on missing his top drive. three wide receivers. What was he on the, was that, was that one for four for minus three yards? Is that what one, what it was? one for one for, yeah, yeah. Daniel Jones on his first drive was one for three for negative four yards. So yes, yeah. he started out basically with nothing and, you know, didn't get a ton for the rest of the first half. And but then the second half somehow turned it on because somehow we can't stop a, a mobile quarterback who also is capable of at least functionally throwing the ball a little bit. I mean, I well, don't understand this. Well, in addition to that, we knew they were going to run Saquon Barkley. They did. And he killed us as well. So that was another, that was another failure on the defense, right? That was the refs didn't dictate that. They just drove it down our throats. For they, those. They did, yeah. The, the big play that they got was, is Barkley in the wildcat, but yeah. I, you know, you can't say that's a surprise play. That is a play that, that New York yeah. runs. The, you know, it, it's been on. They ran it last so, week in so Chicago. Yeah, we, I watched it, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and and going back to Jones being a mobile, a mobile quarterback, I don't, you know, has anyone ever in his NFL career said, hey, we need to put a spy on Jones? It just hasn't happened. Which and, and that, <laughs> they had, actually. Well, they needed it. And it, it still yes. didn't work. It was, con it's confounding. But like I said before, it seems like this year the Packers' margin of error is very, very thin if they're going to win games. Not all these other minutia notwithstanding, and they weren't able to to the margin of error. They didn't have any advantages in this game. They didn't have a positive turnover ratio. They didn't get a a cheap penalty. They didn't get you know what they needed to to kind of help them over that hump or whatever you want to call it. And they freaking lost. Like I said, when we we're we were expecting. Yeah. 
them to score on that last drive. Uh, not the not the last last one that ended up in a uh, sack fumble, but the uh, you know it's like okay they're on the six yard line. If they score, they're going to go for two or not. You know this could be really exciting again, and you know and they get away with a win. London folks in London are happy. Everybody goes away and two knockdown passes on third and fourth down. They didn't attempt to run the ball. It was just like, what uh, is third, happening? Third here? and two, third and two. Yeah. It, it, was, it wasn't that this was a long, insurmountable distance that needed to be covered. It was yeah. third and two and fourth and two. Yeah. And it's just, again, where do these misdirection play go, plays go all of a sudden? Where do the, you know, the shovel passes get a little creative because every time they got creative, it seemed to work. And then it just got vanilla, 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 and it sucked. Even, you know, five games into the season where, Neil, we talked about, you know, the first quarter, meaning at 17 games now, it's it a week four, week five is the first quarter. But definitely this defense is overrated and or overvalued from what we thought it was going to be. It is not coming together. And, and I don't think it's the players. What do we have? Six first round draft picks on the seven, starting seven team. First, seven, seven, seven first, first round, draft, round pick. draft picks. You know, the talent, it's not that it's a lack of talent. And when you watch the game, you can definitely say that it is the scheme. It is the plan. It is the lack of adjustments that's, that's happening out there. And so the defense definitely needs to figure out what's happening there. And that starts at the top. That's got to come from the top down. On the offense, the same thing. This is a team that we thought was going to run the ball. You know, the, the, this was the, the whole new Packers this season. The Lafleur, you know, team was going to be running the ball and playing strong defense. And, hey, I'm here for it when it happens. But they didn't, they didn't run the ball enough times. Jeff, you mentioned that already. Neil, you, you've thrown the statistics out there. When they did recommit to the run, it was too little too late. You know, we talked about do we want to do uh, – awards for the first quarter of the, of the season that's going to be hard because there we just have so much to complain about right now but i don't know neil you, you might have had that prepped who do you who do you like so far through five I, games I, I i don't know that i have anyone prepped because i don't know that anyone is is earned an award but <laughs> i think there's some elements of what we've done so far this year that are better than sort of our perception is as packers fan and then there are things that certainly are worse so i looked at some numbers as far as where we're sitting through five games so essentially we're just past the quarter post on the year how are the Packers actually doing globally on this year? And so if you look at uh, yards per game, the Packers offense is number nine in the NFL. Not so bad. Our rushing offense is 11th. Our passing offense is actually 20th. Our passing offense is further down than our rushing offense. By DVOA, our offense is actually number eight. So globally, considering we've got a bunch of new receivers coming in, we could be doing a whole lot worse. The defensive side, we're number five, number five overall as far as yards per game, oh. number two in passing yards per game, but that's highly biased based on the fact that we've played uh, Daniel Jones, Justin Fields, and whoever New England's number three quarterback is. <laughs> I mean, they, the fact is that they, they, they have changed the Nate Bailey Zappi. Yeah, they have fundamentally changed as far as what's done. And so a better gauge as far as what the Packers defense has done is looking at DVOA, which takes into account both the opponent and the, and the uh, context of what's happening. And by DVOA, the Packers defense is ranked 23rd in the NFL Ooh. this year, 23rd, a whole lot worse than that number five overall, a whole lot worse than that number two passing defense um, scoring defense were number 11. And so you look at the advanced statistics and we are a lot worse on defense than certainly mm. we thought we we're going to be, but also than sort of the big picture statistics would indicate. 
And part of the problem is that, as Jeff mentioned, we're not getting turnovers. We have one interception so far this year. That is uh, puts us 31st ahead of the Giants who have a big goose egg this year. We <laughs> only have seven passes defended on defense this year. That ranks number 32 in the NFL in number of passes defended. Uh, the 31st ranked team has 14 passes defended. That is the 31st ranked team has twice as many passes defended as we do. Wow. Turnover ratio, we're minus three. So that's 28th in the NFL. Takeaways, we're tied for in the 26th to 30th range. Um, it, it's a disaster as far as that. And as John mentioned, we have seven first round dra draft picks on defense. And on top of it, we've got Smith, Amos, Campbell, and Douglas as those who are not first round draft picks on our defense, right? It's not like this is a, a group of bums. We've got a defense that is capable of doing a lot of things. Got to look at where exactly our defense is, is failing. Our defense is failing specifically because of questions of scheme, I think more than talent. And John said that, but the numbers bear that out. We've allowed a 134.3 passer rating on plays that have a crossing route. That is if anyone is doing a crossing route anywhere in the play, we have a one 134.3 passing pass. Think about the quarterbacks we've played. Yes, we haven't even played good quarterbacks. <laughs> right. And yet, if they're pass, uh, crossing routes, they are stopping us. And it fundamentally comes down to the fact that the defenders are not being coached in order to exchange routes in the middle of plays, right? If there's a crossing route, you've got to be able to switch off to the other guy. And the fact mm -hmm. that they're not uh, goes right to that point. We've talked previously about how our third down uh, conversion rate is pretty good as far as the NFL, and it is. It's as far as uh, third down success rate, the Packers defense is first in the NFL. The problem yep. is they're still first in the NFL as far wow. as success rate on defense on third down. The problem is we have by far the fewest number of third downs that we have faced in the NFL, and they're converting on first down and second down, and we're not even facing third down. Basically, on, on first down, the, the, the uh, opponents have, a, uh, the Packers are 24th in success rate um, versus other teams, 24th out of 32 teams. On second down, we're 31st in Ooh. defensive success rate. And essentially, they're either getting a short yardage on either they're either converting on first or second down or they have a long third down because of some failure on the offense or because we've made a big play and so we look good on third down but it's fundamentally because we're not getting the third down anywhere near as often as other teams are making it to third down um, it's so it, it's just a disaster as far as all of those numbers are concerned so the total overall the Packers have only faced 53 third downs on the season, 53 third downs on the season. Well, if you don't face that many third downs, that's going to inflate what your overall numbers are. Um, looking at this as far as, you know, how vanilla our defense has been, the Packers overall have a 43% blitz rate, which is defined as when you have five or more people going after the quarterback. So that sounds pretty good, um, except for the fact that it's always the same five people. It's Gary, it's Smith, and the three down linemen. Uh, Gary and Smith are rushing on 90% of snaps. If you look at, at Kwai Walker, 16% rush rate. Devondre Campbell, 4% uh, rushing rate on passing downs. That is the sixth lowest among all linebackers. And we have no defensive backs with more than four uh, rushes on the quarterback. Essentially, we are doing the exact same thing on defense every single time. And if you're doing the exact same thing, if you're not changing things up, you're going to allow that other team to figure out a way to solve the problem. 
On offense, we've got similar problems as far as what we're able to do. If you consider uh, the passes, John, I know is very against what we've done as far as outside passes. Now, as far as outside passes left, we've actually done okay. But overall, on passes that are beyond the line of scrimmage and outside the hash marks, the Packers this year have a 53% completion rate. I'll note that two years ago in 2020, we were 71% as far as our completion rate. So we're failing on those outside passes at a much greater rate than we have in recent years. And if you look at success rate, which again, if you move the ball forward enough to advance plays, the Packers only have a 43% success rate on outside passes this year. Um, It was 60% in 2020. And then looking at schemes on offense, you know, we talk about vanilla. We've all been excited about going to two back sets. We've been saying, hey, we've got Dylan, we've got Jones, we should be able to take advantage of both of those. Well, when we were playing with the two back set, we're only averaging 4.1 yards per play with a 38% offensive success rate. When we have one back or zero back, 5.9 yards per, per play, 46% offensive success rate. And so the Packers oh. actually did dial back the two back sets in the game against the Giants. But there's definitely a, I think there's a difference between perception and what's actually happening, what's actually working. One other element as far as these two back sets, the Packers only have a 4.4% explosive plays on the two back set, one or zero back, 13% explosive plays. So that two back set seems to be holding us back as far as our success on offense, no matter how much you think, well, we should be able to do thunder and lightning in order to get things work. Um, So it's, uh, it's a it's a problem on offense. It's a problem on defense. Some of the elements are schemes. I know John has uh, is, is very much stated that there's also a talent issue on on offense as far as the receivers are concerned. I think that's bear that bears out as far as our inability to have success both on long routes and on outside routes that we're just not getting any sort of separation. But um, this is a real problem, and uh, the hope is that the receivers will be able to help uh, the rookie receivers will be able to help the offense move forward and that Joe Barry against all probability is going to go from being one of the worst defensive coordinators on previous teams he's been at to being a good defensive coordinator, or we're going to come up with a solution that goes, takes advantage of the fact that we've got good D backs that should be good at man coverage. We have only had nine plays so far this year in which we played man coverage on defense nine. That does not seem to be taking advantage of your skill set. So a few thoughts hmm. there, Neil. I know you were reminiscing on some old pictures that 0-16 Lions team, the defensive coordinator for that team, Joe Barry. Joe Barry. <clears throat> uh, Jeff, we need to mark down as well that Neil actually, you know, justified my contention that the outpasses are not working. So, you know, <laughs> chalk that one up. And Neil gave me a little bit of support there. Uh, but overall, you know, going to just if you were to say, hey, let's let's create some individual awards here for the through the first five games, I think the only one uh, that I'm really willing to dangle out there is probably rookie of the year for Romeo Dobbs. Uh, other than that, I don't think anyone is, you know, can you hang your hat on someone as MVP right now, let alone offensive player, or defensive player of the year. I just feel it's not there. I mean, yeah. You know, if you had to break it down and, and pick someone, well, we could probably get there, but the only one I'm, yeah, I'm really willing to say is probably rookie of the year. So a couple thoughts. So Crosby's been good. So from field goal standpoint, extra uh, kickoffs, things like that. The ass hats, still the ass hats, but maybe yeah. we'll, you know, if, if another couple weeks, maybe they get a punt return or a kickoff return, something happens. They've been serviceable though. They haven't lost a game for us this year. 
So that's good. I, I, I should note specifically by DVOA, our special teams are 10th in the NFL. So they are not losing us games this year. Right. Yeah. Cause they've been really like at the bottom for multiple years. So that's okay. So that's, that's solid. That's pretty good. 10th is a whole hell of a lot better than 28th or 29th or whatever the hell they've always been. Speaking of which though, too, today, Kylan Hill comes off of the uh, reserve list that he was on. I don't remember if he was on the pup or on the injured reserve, but they've got over the next 21 days, he can practice. They can get him moved into the active roster. And I, I think that that right there um, might spell the end of the Amari Rogers experiment. And, and, yeah. and you have to look at, okay, if they do bring Kylan Hill onto that active roster, he is going to be a kick return. And yeah. what do you do? Is there potential for you to say, hey, let's put Christian Watson on the IR and give him that, what is it, a four-week, six-week window you're required to stay on the IR and let that hamstring heal? Or, like I said, is it is it the end of the Amari Rogers experiment? Well, so it's interesting about the Amari Rogers, right? I mean, he had that that muff that thank, thank thankfully recovered during the game, yeah. but it, you know, looking again at the rankings for special teams, as far as punt return yardage, we're ranked 15th in the NFL, but we lead the league in fair catches. Uh, leading the league in fair Shocker. catches does not actually factor into those numbers and guess what if you're fair catching all the time you're not helping you move the ball forward you're yeah not when the ball is in the better position that you need yeah to. when the when the ball still hasn't been punted yet and he's raising his arm because wow but so you know our kicker's been good you know that's that's also been solid and so like i said special teams they've been consistent one of the ironically one of the only consistencies on the team right i mean they haven't lost us the game. They, you know, punts inside the 20, things like that. Pretty decent kickoffs. Um, you know, I think going back to, I would say piling on here, but time management, clock management, that's another one too on offense, right? I mean, the, the, the idiotic timeouts, the, the fact that the Packers in the first half actually had all three timeouts left for their final drive. That was like, Wow. <laughs> Sadly, but they did. And that actually, I would argue, helped them get to that field goal on that final drive because most other games, they've blown at least one, if not two of the timeouts by the time they get to that two minute warning. So time management is, or clock management is another one, the delay of games, things like that. Um, I don't know. Like I said, how do we, so where do we go from here? Right. I mean, so here's where we're at. We've Super Bowl aspirations. We are three and two. It'd be worse. It'd be better. It could be worse. So where do we go from here? Hopefully, there's a lot of you know introspection. You know, a lot of um, self-assessment going on, uh, especially like I said earlier, going from the top down. Um, but also, I think you know, looking at it from the other way too. Uh, at this point we saw this as being a three and two team. We really did expect two losses early. We just had the wrong one picked. And, and when we got one wrong with Tampa, uh, boy, we were, we were really hoping this was going to be a nice sign of things to come. We were going to be a four and one team. So three and two is realistically where we expected this team to be yeah. after five games, but it seems to be a three and two on the way down, not a three and two on yeah. the way up. And I mean, everything that Jeff just talked about, hopefully the, the coaching staff works on that. I mean, none of the, the problem is none of the threes have been impressive, right? I mean, everyone, it's been a matter of how do we sneak out the victory, whether it's a yeah. last second defended pass or, 
you know, the, there ends up being luck. I mean, I, I honestly think that the victories against the Bears and the Patriots come down to a little bit of luck as far and the Buccaneers at a fundamental level. It comes down to who we faced relative to who we yeah. could have faced. And um, I think the Bears were going to beat again, but that's just because they're a bad team. I mean, we've got to figure out a way to be more decisive and consistent on both sides of the ball. And I think you're right. It's the introspection that's going to be key. Can we identify what has worked and what hasn't worked and figure out a way to make it work on both sides of the ball? Because the talent is there certainly on the defensive side and on the offensive side, we should be able to scheme better than we're doing right now. Going back to our, our theme, the Tale of Two Cities theme, Green Bay definitely was represented in London. It was amazing how much of a present uh, presence the Packer fans had in London. Peter talked about it last week. We saw it online. It was a green and gold invasion in London. Definitely uh, the reason that it took so long for Green Bay to play in London is because not only did Green Bay not want to give up the home game, but nobody else wants to give up a home game when Green Bay comes to visit because nobody travels like Packer fans. And it was shown here. You talked about, Jeff, you used the proverbial we. Uh, you know, <laughs> we are all part of this team or we like to think we are. But mm -hmm. as fans, we're still bringing it. And we'll talk about tailgating a little bit later. As I mentioned, you know, for uh, the, 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 the Patriots game, the crowd was there. The crowd was ready to go. The crowd is doing their part. And they certainly did it in london did they yeah just coming across even on tv uh, yeah. it was pretty amazing how the crowd was uh totally into it where i think other london games in the past the crowd has just been lackadaisical and we go back to some of the first games where they didn't quite understand american football and they were cheering for the punts they were <laughs> cheering for the <laughs> the kicks the, the field goals you know yeah. uh, because they're so used to that that other football game but the fans really came through for the team in this game. And unfortunately they were let down. Well, it, it was an entertaining game and to kind of open it up to the other, some of the other week six games. I mean, there's been some bad football. Um, there's been some bad football games this year so far. And I, I guess I don't recall, I mean, I'm watching other games purposely to be entertained. Um, so I was entertained actually Monday night, that Las Vegas, Kansas city game. That was super entertaining. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of, you know, it ended, it was just, but it was, it was interesting to watch. Whereas some of these games have been just in the ineptitude on offense and just defense carries the day, you know, but sometimes it's just not pretty to watch, even when the defenses aren't good and you're watching offenses just be bad. <laughs> Russell and, Wilson, um, excuse me. <laughs> But it's, what, what's, what I'm curious about is because the, the NFL is trying to tailor their games for offense, for, towards quarterbacks and things like that. And, man, there's been some games that just – I mean, is it, is it quarterback talent? It's, I mean, I, I, I'm curious. I, it's a rhetorical question. I don't have any answers. Yeah. I ponder it more perhaps. But it's just some of these games have just been awful to watch and the announcers are, are kind of stuck to, you know, when they're – they're really trying to kill time and trying to find something to entertain themselves with, whether it's a Thursday night game, even a Sunday night game. Sometimes they're just, they're brutal. And so it, it's, I guess it's, that's why they play the games. You do have this parody, you know, we, we have the giants and now the jets, the NFC East that was supposed to suck. Well, as it turns out, look what happened. They're suddenly good. The Cowboys are not dead. 
They're four and one. And so looking forward to the game this week, that Cowboy Eagle game, that's going to be something. Well, we'll take a look at, at week six in a little bit here. Jeff, the other thing about watching all these other games, and you mentioned Monday night, it's good to see that Green Bay isn't the only team blowing leads uh, yes. during this season as well. <laughs> uh, but we'll take a look at the, uh, the, the week to come. We've got our Packer player of the past to take a look at. Neil, who are we talking about this week? This week's Packers player of the past connects the Giants and the Packers. I mean, it goes back to the early days of the NFL, and our Packers player of the past this week is Cal Hubbard. Uh, Cal Hubbard being a Packers player during our first championship seasons, but also the first Giants championship season. So Cal Hubbard was born on a family farm in Keatsville, Missouri, and the family farm birth is relevant to his life story. Um, he actually only played one year of high school football. He mostly played baseball in high school, but in college, he decided that he wanted to play this game of football and went to uh, Chillicothe Business College to start out his college, um, then moved on to Centenary College in Shreveport, Louisiana, where from 1922 to 1924, he was an All-American. His coach moved to Geneva College outside Pittsburgh. He played his final year at Geneva College. Um, and as he entered the NFL in 1927, uh, he stood at six foot two and 250 pounds. For a player of that era, that was absolutely enormous. He was a, a man among boys on the football field and they signed with the Giants. And as part of his evolution as a football player, he is one of the people that's considered one of the inventors of the position of linebacker. His fundamental role on defense was to move around, to create mismatches, to create schemes that were going to cause problems for the defense the core of what a modern NFL linebacker is. And so he started with the Giants in 1927. The Giants won the NFL championship over the Packers um, as far as record is concerned. And the Giants only allowed 20 points in that entire NFL season. In the 1928 season, uh, the Cal Hubbard played a game in Green Bay at City Stadium and decided he liked Green Bay. He thinks this is a beautiful small town. Again, he grew up on a family farm. He didn't like the big city. So at the end of the 1928 season, he asked for a trade to the Green Bay Packers. Thankfully, the Packers, that worked out. In 1929, Curly Lambeau moved Cal Hubbard to both offensive line and defensive line. The Packers in that 1929 season only allowed 22 points the entire season as they rolled to the NFL championship with an 11-0 and one record. And of those 22 points, four points were on safety. So only 18 points as far <laughs> as the defense. Um, they beat the, the New York Giants as far as the title is concerned. In 1930, they were also the NFL championships with a 10-3 and one record, also beating the Giants. In 1931, they were were 12 and two and also NFL championships. So that first three-peat in NFL history, Cal Hubbard was a central player as far as that playing both on offense and defense as this huge lineman, this huge presence on both the offense and the defense. And then in 1932, he played again for the Packers. And this is one of the weirdest seasons in NFL history, because if you look in the record books, it says the Chicago Bears are the champions. And the Chicago Bears indeed ended up with a seven, one and six record. But the Packers were 10 and three by modern approaches to records. The Packers actually had a better NFL record that year and the Packers should have been the NFL champs. So I would consider that the hidden Packers championships. Cal Hubbard should have had five NFL championships 
And notably, 1932 was the last season that the NFL played without a championship game. From 1933 on, there were championship games every year. And so the controversy of that 1932 season, the fact that the Bears could, you know, essentially the, the way it worked is that ties didn't count at all. So the Bears' 7-1-6 and six record was a 7-1 and one record as far as it was concerned. It's like ties don't matter. And so fundamentally, you win one game and just tie everything else, you're going to win the NFL championship. Um, so Cal Hubbard arguably should have five NFL titles, but he has four. Uh, while he was in Green Bay, he started minor league umpiring. He had loved baseball. He played baseball in high school. He started as a minor league umpire. And after that 1933 uh, uh, season, he started to think more seriously about his life after football. Um, and you know, he, he took a year off as far as being high school coach. He then played on some, some other teams. But he was a person who established himself in those early years as one of the true legends of the NFL game that is recognized by him being a charter member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, one of 17 charter members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, along with Lambeau, Hallis, Hudson, Johnny Blood McNally, Jim Thorpe, and others. So what did he do after football? He decided to become an umpire. His, his, his love of baseball is something that, again, he had done in his summers, sort of in his time off or in between seasons. It wasn't really time off because they had to work in between seasons. And so he established himself as an umpire for Major League Baseball. And he started in 1936 as a Major League Baseball umpire. Um, it was said that his 2010 vision was one of the keys for him being a Major League Baseball umpire and somebody who was so respected. Um, he umped in Major League Baseball from 36 until 51. Um, he had an accident that injured his eye at that point, and then he took over as the head of, of, of umpiring for Major League Baseball. And one of the things he did, did as the head of umpiring is he established the four-man umpiring crew. Prior to that time, the umpires just sort of roamed around the field and kind of made decisions as they would. One of the things that Cal Hubbard did is he standardized the nature of umpiring as we've got a four-man crew. Everyone has specific assignments, led to greater inherent uh, consistency as far as the calls of umpire. And so Cal Hubbard is also in the Baseball Hall of Fame, the only person who's both in the football and the Baseball Hall of Fame. And in addition to those major halls of fame, he's also in the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame, and the Beaver County Sports Hall of Fame. One of the great legendary stories about Cal Hubbard is in a game against the Bears where um, Bronco Nagurski was a rookie and Red Grange, uh, a longtime veteran, uh, Grange and, and Hubbard being friends, uh, there was a, a punt and uh, Cal Hubbard said to Red Grange, hey, I, I won't, I promise I won't block the punt, but let me through. I want to get a, a lick on Nagurski and see if he's as tough as they say he is. And uh, so on the play, Grange lets him go. Cal Hubbard goes into Bronco Nagurski, hits him, bounces off, and goes almost all the way back to the line of scrimmage on his ass. And after the play, Hubbard looks at Red Grange and says, hey, Red, don't do me any more favors, will you? Well, the, the Packer player of the past as well, uh, the connection there being with last week's opponent, the New York Giants, there is one really major connection between the Green Bay Packers and this week's opponent, the New York Ooh. Jets. Um, Neil, your jersey looks a little bit different than the one I've got hanging on my wall, but that is our big connection, not our Packer player of the past this week, but it is the Jets coming into Green Bay uh, for a week six matchup where both teams are three and two on the season. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. 
Um, wow. as, somebody, as somebody who is a Mets fan, and I actually had more pain on Sunday than the rest of you did as far as football is concerned, um, I, I have listened to Jets games for a long time. In fact, um, during the 90s, I listened to basically every Jets, listened to or watched every Jets game, um, not because I wanted to, but because this is the pre-direct TV era and I didn't have any money. And so I listened to what and watched whatever was on TV or the radio. So I listened to a lot of Jets games. And so Mets and Jets are, have always been tightly correlated. Um, and so I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the Jets. And I did have one year in which I was absolutely a hardcore Jets fan, obviously the 2008 season. Just one year, um, yes. Just one year where I am wearing mm -hmm. the, this jersey. I bought the Jet Favre jersey and the photo on uh, that's shown is from the 2008 season where John and I are in Lambeau Field. I am wearing the Jets Favre jersey as we're walk watching the Packers take on the then 0-15 Lions who became the 0-16 Lions. Well, we got to get you a better jersey, Neil, because, you know, it is throwback week. So if you have the uh, nice throwback jerseys, uh, wear them this week. They're going to have the, the helmet without the logo on it. Uh, the green pants are really what make the, the throwback uniform with the green jersey. So you're going to see uh, a little bit different looking team this week. I know people want to say they look like the old Oregon Ducks, but uh, it's a little <laughs> different. There is just something sharp about this. The green is a little bit different. The gold is certainly uh, a change from the white, but it is our throwback week with the Jets coming into town. Jeff, what do you like about this game? <laughs> it's at home. That's what I okay. like about it. <laughs> Actual home, real home, not fake yes. home, real home. It's, it's, it's in Green Bay. It's at Lambeau Field. No, seriously, uh, that I think is, that could be, that is the X factor. Um, the trip obviously to London was, there was a ton of fans there, but I think just getting back home, um, they're going to be, my brother's going to be there and, and some of his friends. Um, so there, I, there's, you know, it's a festive atmosphere still in green Bay. It's, it's, it's October weather's supposed to be pretty decent. Let's, I hope it's not a trap game. I hope they don't come out and just shit the bed again. They, they have to play well. They'll obviously, like you said, the fans are going to bring it. I think it's going to be an electric atmosphere. It's a noon game kind of more the standard, you know, get up, get there early in the morning, have your Bloody Mary or 12 and uh, for, for breakfast. And I think the fans will be great. It's not a gold game. So lots of factors. I think Green Bay, they just, they need to come home. They need to take care of business and they need to win. Um, there's in the series though, the Jets actually lead the Packers in the all-time series. There's been some pretty lean games in this series. Not as of late, not in the last 20 years or so, but uh, some some of the games in the 70s and 80s uh, were pretty pretty uh, heavily uh, I mean, dominated the, the, by the, the Jets. The, the Packers won the first game in the series in 73, That's and true. they didn't win again until 1994. Um, we yeah. had five straight losses against the Jets, and it's not like the Jets were world beaters during that time. No. I mean, the Jets are the Jets. The reason the Jets are a punchline for a reason, it's not because <laughs> of their prowess in NFL football. Their, their one NFL championship with Mr. Namath. And, and certainly at three and two, I think the Jets are probably a little bit better than, than expected at this point or, mm -hmm. or what they were especially expected to be for the season coming out of the AFC East. Uh, so they're playing, they're playing pretty well. But, you know, for the three of us, we're, we're old enough to remember when they were all noon games on Sunday. This is yeah. the only uh, scheduled noon Sunday home game for the season. 
And uh, as you said, Jeff, yeah, we'll definitely get the um, <clears throat> get the fans out there rolling early. We'll talk about tailgate, tailgating in a little bit to wrap up the show. But I mean, looking at the numbers of the game, right? So, I mean, the, the Jets are basically the same as us as far as the numbers are concerned. Their offense is, is ranked number 12th in the NFL. The Packers are number nine as far as yards per play. Their defense is ranked number 10th. I mean, there's sort of a top tier. Now, not top, top tier, but that second tier as far as teams in the NFL. And they're good again, you know, as far as the rush and the pass are concerned. Their defense is right all in the middle as far as the rush and the pass. So I guess the good news would be they're not dominating at anything, but they're good at a lot of things. And mm-hmm. I think last week's victory over Miami, the 40 to 17 victory over Miami, even without Tua is something that gave all of us a little bit of pause because they showed that they've got something as far as moving the ball and looking at it on defense. We talked about how the Packers only have seven passes defended. The Jets defense has seven interceptions on the year. Um, Their defense has got the ability to take the ball away. And uh, Jeff, I hate to tell you, but um, there's an asshat potential in this game because the Jets are also the number two team in the NFL for punt returning. Ooh, well, they'll put him to the test, but you know, it's uh, hopefully this game will not be a repeat of December 20th, 1981. That's when the Packers were eight and seven. They were, they had a chance of reaching the playoffs. They go to Shea stadium and they absolutely shit the bed. They lost to the jets 28 to three. They were absolutely completely dominated. Lynn Dickey was sacked nine times. He was 12 of 33 for 96 yards and a pick. This was in the uh, the uh, New York sack exchange. If you guys remember that. So hopefully it will not be a repeat of something like that because the Packers were still trying to get in the playoffs in that game. Obviously, that was the last game of the season back in 1981. But let's hope this isn't a game where they just come out flat and something like that happens because Lafleur has some history on his side. I mean, the Packers are really good against the AFC, especially at home. And as of late, I mean, throw out a couple stats here. The under Lafleur, they're eleven and three against the AFC, seven and zero, averaging thirty point one points per game at home. They have a plus nine turnover margin, um, and they just. They play well at home against the AFC. We need to have that happen on Sunday. The, the problem is we're not playing against the 2020 or the 2021 yeah. or 2019 AFC. The AFC has gotten better. And yeah. this is this is my concern. And specifically looking at the Jets, right, That those numbers against Miami on offense are good. But on defense, Carl Lawson this year is number two in the league in quarterback hits with 14. I mm. worry a lot about Zach Wilson. He seems to be making that year two leap. And then as far as the wide receivers are concerned, Romeo Dobbs and Garrett Wilson um, are both basically doing the exact same same thing as far as receivers are concerned. Garrett Wilson, the number 10 pick in the draft, um, but second in total receptions among rookie receivers. Um, And there is one other uh, factor in the game that uh, might cause Packers fans cause for concern, and that is that the referee in this game is Cleet Blakeman. The last game, Cleet Blakeman refereed for the Packers was the 2020 NFC Championship game. Specifically, Cleet Blakeman has called four more penalties per game than the average NFL official this year. So you can look forward to a lot of, if you you felt that you were missing laundry, (laughs) I I know Jeff thought there was a lot of laundry, but I have a feeling that the the numbers tell us that there's going to be a lot of laundry on the field this week. And as long as Kevin King is not involved, which thankfully he's not going to be, 
um, this, but this is this is a real rubber factor that the, the the odds of an official actually making a difference are are higher with with uh, Blakeman as the referee. Add to it, uh, Matt Lafleur's brother is the offensive coordinator for the Jets, and and Matt has not fared well against his brother's teams in San Francisco. Uh, Lafleur also friends with uh, Robert Sally, the the head coach of the Jets. Um, so they they are you know these coaches as they come up in the ranks, they know each other, they work in different staffs together. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they scheme against each other, and if there's a, a good family reunion this weekend, we'll see. Uh, but well, it, it's only going to be good for one brother, right? Going to no be good what. for one brother, yeah. right? Yeah. But I think you you bring up Sally and, you know, obviously we did not have good luck against him in San Francisco um, when he, when he was in charge of the defense there. And so um, that is a real cause for concern. The game at noon on Sunday, we will be there. It is a home game as well. Uh, Before we wrap it up and talk about how to follow us on game day, Jeff, you've got a little bit of a bedtime story for us. So this is going back to last week, a little bit in terms of the travel. So typically after London, even even in today's game, the teams that travel to London have a bye week. Well, the Packers have a home game, but not a bye week. So I want to take you back to the season that Neil already referenced in 1932. And the Packers had some away games, but they were gone for 32 days in a row to these away games. So they started uh, early November 10th, 1932. They got on a train in downtown Green Bay and they they took 22 players and Curly Lambeau and two others, including an equipment uh, person. Once they got to Chicago, they changed trains and they continued to Boston, arriving uh, Friday afternoon. And then they played Sunday and they beat the Boston Braves. So then on Monday, November 14th, the team left Boston and they traveled to New York City and they stayed in New York City for the next two weeks in which they played three games in and around New York City in eight days. So they lost to the New York Giants on November 20th. They beat the Brooklyn Dodgers on November 24th. That was the Thanksgiving Day game. And they beat the Staten Island Stapletons on November 27th. So then from New York City, they hopped on another train, and they went on to Columbus, Ohio for four nights, and they played and lost to the Portsmouth Spartans on December 4th. And the final game of the road trip occurred on December 11th in Chicago. And they, unfortunately, they lost that game as well. So they kind of finished the season on a sour note, but they had to have been exhausted on a 32-day road trip across the East Coast, all by train. And uh, after that, then they hopped. Um, uh, most of the players came came back home for just a day or two, and then a number of the players, seventeen of them, went on a barnstorming trip where they were gone for another two months. And that trip, they went as far as uh, Hawaii, and they played. That was before Hawaii was actually recognized as a state. That was in late 1932 and early 33. They played in Los Angeles, and they were gone a really, really long time. And, and of important note on that, they did not take the train to Hawaii. That is correct. <laughs> yes, it's thank true. You. But, but but also an important note, they completely shit the bed in 1933. Also, yeah. looking back at that season, right, you're going through those games. The Packers, as I said, were 10-3-1 and in that 32 season. Mm-hmm. Um, those three losses were all part of that road trip. And so scheduling yeah. absolutely played a role in whether the Packers officially or 
unofficially won a title in 1932. And the thing being is, is the bye week being a modern convention of the uh, NFL game, uh, the Packers, you know, could have had the bye this week. They opted not to. They did not want to right. buy this early in the season. It will be later in December. Uh, so we'll see if they are maybe regretting that. I mean, from a, from a health and injury standpoint, I think they're doing fine. They're not looking at this and saying, gee, we need this rest and recovery. I think it helps that this is a, a true home game, a Green Bay home game, yeah. technically three home games in a row uh, in weeks four, five, and six, because yeah. the London game uh, build or they were the home team for that game. Uh, but yeah, definitely just travel is totally different. You know, when you talk about chartered flights, and hotel reservations and things of that nature. One of the things you didn't get into, Jeff, and there's a lot of great stories about this, is the fans that would travel with the team as well, mm -hmm. especially when they went to Milwaukee or to Chicago for a game. And yes. the, the just the party atmosphere. <laughs> well, was, and, and, you know, the, yes. Whether it was in, of... in Chicago or New York, too. Yeah. Um, I've read a lot where they were just, they were such, they were reporters they were so sought after that they they had a hard time practice they couldn't you know practice kind of in private or you know kind of away from the spotlight they were they were covered in new york the 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 uh, two weeks that they spent there you know they they stayed in some of the finest hotels but they were like they were the the attraction new yorkers were fascinated with them and, and just you know going back that far well, they it's were the three-time defending champions, right? I mean, why wouldn't exactly. you be fascinated? Yeah, absolutely. So they, they've always had, um, I would say, global fascination as, as the NFL rolls out. But certainly in the United States, they've, they've been famous for a really, really long time. But along with that, not only do the teams travel well, travel differently than they did 90 years ago, but so do the fans. We talked about it earlier. The fans, the Packer fans made it to London. They made a presence there. They showed up in force. We are expecting actually a really good New York Jets fan base coming into town on Sunday. The Jets have traditionally traveled well. Uh, they do come to the tailgate uh, party in Green Bay as well. A, a legendary gentleman who goes by the name of Tailgate Joe is going to be at the lot nine, not the lot one, but lot nine tailgate party. It is a noon game. That means the parking lot opens at eight o'clock AM. And I will tell you that the tailgate party will start promptly at 8.01 AM on Sunday morning. We will have the PBRs out. We will be rolling them out early. And the <laughs> it is going to be <laughs> day drinking at its finest in Green Bay, Wisconsin, outside of Lambeau Field. Temperatures in the 50s. Hopefully, uh, the the rain, the little chances, some sprinkles. Hopefully, it stays off. But the fans from New York, we expect them to come in and show up as well. And it's going to be green everywhere. Packer green and Jet yeah. green. And I think it's going to be a beautiful day in Green Bay. So if you do make it to Green Bay, even if you come just for tailgating, you don't have to have a ticket. Come on up. Have a good time. Uh, you want to be there. Like I said, you can be there at 8. Great. Uh, no later <laughs> than 10 to really get a feel for it. I think that's it's going to be a, a wicked time. We're going to use our social media to try to promote what's going on outside of the stadium. Remember, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Snapchat, all using Green Bay Chat to find us. Facebook, the GBC Podcast, Green Bay Chat. And those of you who are watching us on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, leave a comment. All of it is free. We're not going to sell anything. We're not going to 
throw ads at you. We want you guys to just follow us and, and have a great time and enjoy uh, the Packers and Packer tailgating as much as we do. And with that, you guys, what are your final thoughts coming into week six? It's an October game in Lambeau. I am so jealous of everyone who's going to be there. October games in Lambeau. You've got the perfect weather for football. It should be a great atmosphere. My sister and brother are both going to be at the game. So hopefully they will get shot skis with you, John. Right. Um, but I am, I'm very jealous of anyone who's able to be at this week's game. I was in Green Bay last weekend. I had a, had a superb time. Unfortunately, can't make it this weekend. But everyone who's there, I know that you're going to be loud. I know you're going to cheer the Packers on. And they're going to need it because this is a real test as far as this 2022 Packers. We don't really know where they're going to go. And it's a game where they have to win this game. I mean, it's not truly a must game win game. There's no such thing as that in the NFL at this point in the season, but we're going to learn something about the Packers this week. Their defense should be better than it is based on skill. Their offense should be more creative and should be able to put together more than one and a half quarters of football. And we're going to see this week, whether they're capable of doing it against a team. That's a pretty good team, a team that it on paper, I think is still better than that giants team. And so let's see the Packers actually start to move in the direction that we all thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season. I hundred percent agree, Neil. This, I see this game as an inflection game at home. They have, the the fans, as we've said, will be, you can't day drink until, you know, without drinking in the morning. So that's a good start. And uh, no, I think in all seriousness, I think it's going to be an exciting game. Again, fall at Lambeau Field. My brother's going to be there as well. So I'll send him your way, John. But, yep. uh, you know, glad he can make it with his friends. They they try and attend at least one game every year. So this is their this is their game they're going to this year. And they always have fun. And I just, I hope there it's a victory. We were talking about this um, before we started recording that I see this game. If the Packers are going to get on track, they're going to play. I, I want to see a complete freaking game of football. Four quarters. I'll, I'll take three. Okay. Let's, I will maybe. I'll, I'll, let's I'll, just start out with two. We really need to see two first. <laughs> I don't want to okay? get greedy here, <laughs> but just come on. Let's just. So let's get a game where in the fourth quarter, we do see Jordan Love, but for all the right reasons, right? Let Jordan Love take, you know, half a dozen snaps or kneel down or whatever. Just maybe get even his uniform dirty if it's a blowout. I would like to see one of those games to establish themselves as, okay, we've still got our mojo. We're still in control here uh, because a three and three record with a bunch of, uh, you know, three road games in a row after this, three really challenging road games. So this is like I said, as Neil said, there's no such thing as a, as a must win game, but this is pretty close. This is an inflection point, And we're going to really find out, I think what, what, how this rest of the season perhaps could be dictate could fall, could be dictated because if they lose this through three and three, the Vikings perhaps win this week again, then there's a, there are two plus game lead over us, two and a half games. So we don't want to fall too too far behind in the division. Very important to, to win this week. All right. And the GBC podcast will be back next week to talk about the Jets game. And again, on YouTube, you can subscribe, leave a comment, all for free. Remember to search Green Bay Chat. Uh, follow the story, especially on Snapchat. We'll get a video or two on TikTok. We have some pictures on Instagram and Twitter as well on game day. And as always, may you fully appreciate the magnitude of your impending good fortune. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night.